Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, some of the most epic scenes in the new film Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings take place in San Francisco, and they have a deeper connection to its history and activism than even the makers of Marvel's first Asian-led superhero film may have realized. We learn more. But first, Governor Gavin Newsom defeated the recall effort handily, but his top Republican challenger, Larry Elder, isn't going away, leading L.A. Times columnist Erica D. Smith to wonder if Elder could usher in a new era of black conservatism. But is he who black conservatives want representing them? That's next on Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's pretty clear what L.A. Times columnist Erica D. Smith thinks of Republican Larry Elder and his recall rise. Smith's August column headline read, Larry Elder is the blackface of white supremacy. You've been warned. And her column just this week is about how Elder as a standard bearer won't help the GOP's racist image with his embrace of Trump and denials of systemic racism. But in between, Smith is mused about whether Elder could bring about a new era of black conservatism. Erica Smith joins me now. Welcome to Forum. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So why do you think Elder could be big for black conservatives in California, even those less bombastic say that he is? (laughs) Well, I think it's a matter of just, you know, I think it's a matter of attention. And I think that, you know, I think during the Trump administration, I think people have came away with an idea of what black conservatives are. And I think it was defined, you know, by people like Ben Carson, uh, by people like Omarosa, who was on his staff um, and, and others. And I think and even media personalities like Diamond and Silk. But I think that seeing somebody like Larry Elder, who I, I still in many ways, I think kind of fits that criteria, also kind of opens the door to talking about what black conservative is and what it isn't. And particularly in California, where we have such a diverse state, and there are people of different political persuasions, even though we're uh, definitely a hugely democratic dominated state, but I think it just opens the door to those kinds of conversations. And just remind us or give us a sense of what proportion of black voters are registered Republican or are are identifying themselves as conservative in California. Well, as you imagine, there's probably not, there's not a lot of polls out there, but I think the most accurate one is probably from a PPIC that said it's about 6%. 6% of mm-hmm. 
of black uh, of black people identify as uh, as conservative. Yes, and this is of course very small because as we learned very very clearly <laughs> this past week, the GOP is outnumbered two to one by Democrats. Yes. <laughs> if yes. Their returns were any indica- indication. Well, on the line now is Corinne Rankin, Vice Chair of the Central Valley California GOP and President of the Legacy Republican Alliance, which fosters Black Republican leadership throughout the U.S. And Corinne Rankin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, First, would love to just hear what your reaction has been to Larry Elder's rise. It was pretty quick, right? He kind of, there are people, of course, in conservative circles and talk radio circles who were familiar with him. But for the rest of the state, it really has been in the last six weeks for a lot of us. Right. And I think you just outlined it right there. Larry Elder has been moving in conservative circles for decades. Uh, his radio show is incredibly popular um, amongst you know conservatives just kind of nationwide. So uh, for Republicans and conservatives, Larry Elder was not an unknown factor. I think it's just to the rest of California who, who, who've never heard of him before. They sort of think that he came out of nowhere or, you know, rose up and, you know, out of nowhere. But for, for conservatives that, you know, he, he's been around for years. Does he represent your brand of conservatism? Does he represent your political or policy views? Well, I think those are two different, sort of two different questions. Does he represent my brand of conservatism um, or specifically my, our brand of black conservatism? No, he doesn't. Uh, he represents his own brand, which is a uh, provocateur radio talk show host. Uh, he likes to say things that get people thinking. Um, you know, when it comes to policies, uh, there are some policies that, you know, Larry Elder and I can't agree on, and that's, you know, the school of choice. Uh, that's one thing policy-wise that uh, we definitely see eye to eye on. What made you switch parties? I understand you were a Democrat for a long time. I was. I was a Democrat for my whole life, um, and it didn't. Uh, it wasn't until I uh, became a business owner of my own uh, in, in the criminal justice sort of sector of, 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 of our society. And then I saw that there were a lot of um, new laws or new policies that were sort of built on dismantling the, the criminal justice system. And those were concerning to me because you know, I'm always an advocate that our criminal justice system as a whole can be better. We, we definitely have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I just didn't think that dismantling it uh, totally was the right way to make improvements. So given that is what drew you into it, and also the fact that you you say that Larry Elder does not represent your brand of Black conservatism, do you feel comfortable with the kind of attention he's getting and the way that he, because of a lack of a real understanding of the nuance in the Black Republican Party or community or among conservatives, that he is really the person that's being seen as a representative of it? Well, for Black Republicans, we, and Black people, I think, in general, we, you know, automatically have this understanding 
that we're not a monolith. Um, and I think that what Larry Elder highlights is the fact that we're not a monolith, that there are a few, you know, a few black people out there that happen to think, you know, completely different. And, you know, I, I, I respect his viewpoints. Um, I don't necessarily agree with, you know, his, his style. Um, but then again, that just goes back to we're, we're not a monolith. Uh, try to, you know, there, there's a lot of positives that came out of his campaign. I think that um, what I've been seeing is that in, on the Republican side, there's a real growing appetite for uh, Black Republicans, you know, uh, Hispanic Republicans, Asian Republicans. There's, there's a growing appetite for um, to see more uh, ethnic people, minorities, what have you, uh, grow within our party. And in that regard, um, for me, that's uh, definitely a positive. Hmm. So you don't, you're not worried that he's overshadowed that nuance, basically. And it sounds like you're saying that the positive is that there really is that and a bigger conversation around Black conservatism now? Yes, that's the positive that I see that, that um, you know, as what, what Erica mentioned early on, that there, we are having this conversation now about what Black conservatism looks like. And, um, you know, I think Californians uh, overwhelmingly decided that it doesn't look like uh, Larry Elder. What would you like to see Larry Elder do with this attention that he's getting now to further the kinds of developments you'd like to see? I'd like to see uh, Larry Elder continue on to his radio career and continue the successes he's uh, built doing that. Would you like to see him run for governor or political office? Uh, I don't think, I think that the numbers kind of speak for themselves. And uh, from what I've, I've, I've heard comments that Larry Elder made yesterday, he's, you know, very aware that in 2022, uh, if should he decide to run for governor again, that those numbers uh, would basically be the same. So, it, just one last question. Do you worry that his form of conservatism could become the playbook for black conservatives? Because at least this far, ultimately he did lose, as you say, by a significant margin, but this far, um, it got him this far. Uh, so, yeah, I would, I would say he was already this far, though, because he, like I said, in conservative circles, Larry Elder's been around for decades. So amongst, you know, you know the hardened conservatives, Larry Elder was, was not an unknown factor. And I think that, you know, there's many... Uh, black Republicans here in California, and I, and I have to say throughout the the, the nation, I, I know many of them, and I think this has um, emboldened more Black Republicans to sort of step up and make people more aware that this Larry Elder is not the only thing out there, and that he's you know not the only representative of Black Republicans. Do you want to leave us with anything you'd like to say about the Legacy Republican Alliance? Uh, yes. So we started this program um, in 2019. 
uh, because we wanted to sort of make sure that people knew that there were Black Republicans and that we're not, you know, unicorned. Um, we we started it, um, and, and it's really interesting because I always say that when when, when we started it, we all knew each other. Uh, you can probably count the amount of Black Republicans on the palm of your hand. And now it's really blossomed to the point where I'm meeting new Black Republicans who are, in, who are uh, getting involved um, all the time. Uh, they say that they've heard about us and you know, we're one of the reasons why they've decided to join. And you know, I'm thrilled. So we couldn't be more thrilled with the progress that uh, we've made thus far. Well, Corinne Rankin, really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Corinne Rankin is vice chair of the Central Valley California GOP and president of the Legacy Republican Alliance, which fosters black Republican leadership throughout the U.S. And I want to invite your listeners to join the conversation. Do you identify as a black conservative in California? And if so, what did you make of Larry Elder's campaign? What are your thoughts on what Corinne Rankin just said about the hopes for the future of Black Republican leadership in the state of California? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Erica D. Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, about Larry Elder's rise and whether he may bring about a new era of Black conservatism in California and Erica Smith, one of the things that I was struck by was you interviewed um, Tamika Hamilton, a black conservative who's running against the Democrat John Garamendi in Northern California. And Tamika endorsed Assemblymember Kevin Kiley, not Larry Elder. What was Tamika looking for in the type of person she wanted to see? Well, the short answer is she really wanted somebody who could bring people together. She saw it as the Republican Party is is so fractured, particularly after the Trump administration, that she was hoping that, you know, anybody who would be elected to office would bring not just Republicans together, but also um, kind of more moderate Democrats to a side. And she didn't feel that Larry Elder was the person that could do that. But Kevin Kiley was. Well, after the break, we'll talk more about what you think conservatives will need to really address if they want to make a dent in California. Stay with us for more. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Erica D. Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, who's written a couple of recent pieces looking at Larry Elder's rise, one focusing on whether or not he could usher in a new conversation about black conservatism in California. But her most recent piece this week really asked the question about whether or not the GOP can make inroads here if they don't address issues of race and accusations of racism in the party. Erica Smith, what is it that makes you say that if they really do want to address that, Elder is not the person? 
I think it kind of goes back to something Corinne just said a few minutes ago about, you know, California deciding in the recall election what Black conservatism should look like, and it doesn't look like Larry Elder. Um, and obviously, Larry Elder is a person that is in so many ways tied to Donald Trump and his administration, um, from Stephen Miller to just the ideology of it. And I think that, you know, it's... It, we're going to have to look at something that, you know, is going to rec you know, deal with the, the divisions that happened over the last four to five years. I mean, I think that, you know, after the, the insurrection at the Capitol, after so many, you know, comments that came out of the Trump administration, there really hasn't been this like conversation that talks about how the Republican Party wants to, in one, on one hand, it says it wants to appeal to a broader swath of the electorate, which is increasingly not white. Um, but also it wants to, you know, do, you know, kind of push these policies, but not talk about what happened. And so I think that anything that, um, anything has to, to deal with racism and has to actually deal with what has happened, because you can't just pretend like the last four and a half years didn't happen and get people to vote for you. Another part of the reason that you feel that Elder is probably not that person with regards to really helping the GOP address issues of racism is in the speech that he gave, which you highlighted in your piece, was full of contradictions. Do you want to just describe a couple of those moments quickly? Yes, please. I mean, he, he's a person that has made his entire career about, you know, basically insulting the black community and using racism as a wedge. But, you know, in his in his speech, he talked about how um, he was kind of overlooked by national journalists for being black. And suddenly he's a Republican, but he's not black. But then he also talked about how he's never asked anybody to vote for him because he's black. But he's also talked about how racism doesn't exist. But he's also talked about a little bit how, you know, he feels that people were ignoring him because he was black. So it's it's one of those things where you don't really know where he stands and you don't. And, and since he's supposed to be the standard bearer of the California Republican Party now as the person who got the most votes, it's hard to understand where the party stands on that as well. It's interesting. When I was reading that, I was also thinking about other times when folks say like South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott would would talk about his experiences of discrimination, but then say America is not a racist country. Right. And so mm -hmm. it, it is this I, I almost wonder if that is in some ways, though, the playbook uh, that the contradictions are deliberate because to acknowledge and show that you get something and then bat it down almost gives you more legitimacy. Yeah, I think on the one hand, I think you're right. I do think the contradictions are, you know, part of what's going on. But I also think there's just general confusion, because I also think there are some people in the Republican Party who who don't feel the way that Donald Trump does or some of the more um, vocal uh, surrogates that have been out there. And they're trying to reconcile how to make sense of what they thought was their party with what it's become. Um, so I think it's I think it's a number of different things going on. But I think overall to the broader electorate, it does look very confusing and, and it looks um, very hypocritical. Let me go to caller Mac in San Francisco. Hi, Mac. Hi. Yeah, so I, I would just like to comment. I'm, I happen to be black and I have trouble with the notion that people use the word conservative to describe their position when you consider that some statistics show up to 80 percent of Republicans believe that Donald Trump actually won the election, which I think is actually radical, not conservative. All of a sudden, the black vote shouldn't count. If you look at the states in which they want to to recount the votes in the areas that they're questioning, these are places where black people voted. So from my perspective, essentially what the Republican Party is arguing is that we don't want to count the black vote in the election. So I don't consider that conservative. I consider that radical. I consider that 
against the fundamental American principles. And I don't understand how any black person could consider themselves conservative and pro-American uh, principles and be a member of the Republican Party. Mac, thanks for calling in. Erica, what is your reaction to what Mac is saying? One of the things he's making me think about is I was remembering when like General Colin Powell was the standard bearer of black conservatives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's right. I mean, the party has moved so far to the hard right. Uh, and, and Larry Elder is definitely representative of that. And yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the interesting things in interviewing people for my last column is, you know, I think that conservatives and Republicans are very confused about the, what the definition of conservatism is in, and Republican the party is. Like people don't, there's no singular definition anymore. And I think that, so people calling themselves black conservatives, I mean, in some ways it's up in the air what that actually means. And I think that that's part of what's going on is there is a lot of confusion and contradictions and and in hypocritical statements being made. Well, Ariana writes, will black conservatives like Corinne Rankin gain more attention or backing, or will it continue to be louder mouths like the elders and Candace Owenses of the world that steal the spotlight and crowd out others? I mean, yeah, I think that's the central question. I mean, you know, on the one hand, I think that Corinne obviously hopes that this will uh, open the door to, to talking about and, and exposing, you know, more moderates among the, you know, black conservative ranks. But on the other hand, it's just as likely that we'll see more people like Larry Elder if this does become a playbook. I mean, it's one thing for it probably won't work in California, increasing, you know, numbers of polls that recall elections shows that it won't. But, you know, in other states that are more, you know, red leaning where they've supported Donald Trump, um, it could work. I mean, we have, you know, Herschel Walker is running uh, for Congress in, in Georgia and he, you know, he's very much tied to the Trump administration and he, his views are pretty much known. Who knows if he'll, he'll win? Um, there's other people I imagine that will pop up and start running. And I it'll be interesting to see whether they're more of the moderate uh, side of the Republican Party or more on the far right. We're talking with Erica D. Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, about Larry Elder's rise during the California recall and whether he may bring about a new era of black conservatism in California or inspire other people like him to try to run for office or gain greater attention in the Republican Party. You can share your thoughts, 866-733-6786, on that question. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get, on, get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Or you can email us, forum at kqed.org. What are your hopes for the future of Black Republican leadership in the state? And even if you don't identify as a Black conservative, do you have thoughts about how the G GOP is handling issues of race or accusations of racism in the party? This listener writes, I would love to hear your guests discuss the role that Larry Elder's employer, Salem Media, has in shaping his message and enabling his voice. David Folkenflik had an excellent story on NPR this week exploring Salem Media's role in advancing a right-wing agenda. I don't think people should overlook the impact his employer has had on the effectiveness of his candidacy, giving him a political platform and paying his salary while he ran for office. Any thoughts on that, Erica Smith? Salem I mean, yeah, Salem Media. I mean, I, I think it's part of the larger right-wing media infrastructure, right? I mean, yes, obviously him being paid while running for office is, makes a big difference because it allows him to, to go ahead and do that. But I mean, I also think that it's, you know, the right-wing media apparatus that, you know, as Corinne mentioned earlier, you know, Larry Elder for a lot of people is not a name that wasn't a household name. 
but for those on the right, people knew exactly who he was before he ran, decided he was going to run, and which is part of the reason why he shot to the top of the polls after joining the race in July. Um, and, and he was able to kind of harness that. You know, he was on Fox News a number of times. Um, he, uh, the social media, you know, apparatus that is there, you know, mobilized to support him. Um, and that definitely helped him continue to run and continue to get a name and, and, and raise his brand, so to speak. So I think any Black conservatives that who can tap into that, it's going to obviously help them. But again, those are probably going to be people who are going to be on the further right of the spectrum than they are the moderate, more moderate Republicans or conservatives. And so, you know, it's one of those things that which one, which formula works the best for voters. We have two more comments that are almost kind of related. This listener tweets, Larry Elder lost behind a blank space. Why is anyone trying to pretend he represents any ideology within the black community? There are black Republicans out there. Elder didn't represent them. And then Todd writes, another day of fixating on Larry Elder. You're going to create the next Donald Trump. And I think it's so interesting. I think both are are sort of asking the question, why are we talking about Larry Elder? And in doing so, are we further elevating him? And I love this point from Todd because it's so much, I think, of the kinds of things that people in the media really do think about and worry about, or at least we do. What to give attention to and at what point do you give it attention? Because it is actually something that you can't ignore. Um, I'm thinking of... Uh, conversations we've had around when to have a conversation about QAnon, for example, right? Um, What is your reaction to what Tal was saying? Because you have written a lot about Elder and you have Mm -hmm. been thinking a lot about his influence. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I sincerely hope after this week that I won't have to write another column about Larry Elder. That is, I can tell you that is my plan. Um, But I think that it was worth writing about him at the time. I think a couple of reasons. One, I think if we remember when he entered the race, there frankly weren't a lot of Californians that were aware a recall election was even happening. Um, and so without some of this media coverage, I think regardless of how people voted, they wouldn't have even, you know, it could have actually happened if people had remained unaware that people didn't, Democrats didn't come out and vote the way that they did, that you know, he would have won because there would have been a lot more Republicans who were energized about the recall election and voted when Democrats didn't, which would have made Larry Elder our governor. <clears throat> but I think on a broader scale, yes, Larry Elder is not, you know, very relevant to, to California in terms of statewide elections. He's not going to win. He's not going to become our next governor in 2022. He's probably not going to win a Senate seat. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, California is not an island and there are plenty of red states out there that a person like Larry Elder could inspire candidates there. And that can have an effect on all of us. I mean, because if you remember, you know, Congress is not, you know, solidly in Democratic hands. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot, a couple of races going a different way for us to having, you know, Democrats not being able to basically pass the policies that they want and they're already struggling to do so. So, I mean, we, it's, it's one thing to think about in California that like Larry Elder doesn't count. He's a, he's a non-issue, a non-story, but he does, he's connected to this larger, you know, right wing electorate and party that could really have some broader effect on California. And for that reason, I think it's worth us as journalists continuing to cover him in some capacity, not in the way that we've been covering in the past week. But I mean, he's out there. Let me go to caller Tom in Redwood City. Hi, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, what's on Uh, your mind? Yeah, my point, I was just listening, and it's a, it's a small counterpoint to your guest's uh, comments about finding that middle ground in the Republican Party, kind of the more moderate 
Um, I find it sometimes hard to find that on the Democratic side as well. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Berkeley, and I kind of view myself, myself as a Democrat, but finding that middle ground um, I think it'd be challenging on the Democrats as well. So I just wanted to put that point out there. Well, Tom, thanks. What do you think, Erica Smith? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the polarization of politics is, has worked that way on both sides of the aisle. I mean, we are, in California, we are very left. Um, I think sometimes we forget how left we actually are, um, but we are. And so I think that, you know, it, again, it's the polarization, we have, you know, candidates that are super left and we have, there's also candidates that are super right. And it is about finding that middle ground. And I think that's been elusive, I think, for politicians on both sides of the partisan aisle for, for several years now. Well, Bill writes, black, white or Latino, the problem is fake news, not style. I agree with the caller, the Republican Party claiming their candidate was robbed by a rigged election without any evidence is not in any way conservative. Also, the voter suppression laws are basically Jim Crow laws against black voters organized in Georgia to get out and vote. Steve writes, in my view, black conservatives should consider aligning themselves with moderate Democrats rather than the Republican Party. At this moment, the majority of Republican leadership and many but not all of its base are deeply racist and opposed to anti-racist reforms. While black conservatives will agree with the Republicans on some social and economic issues, they will never be welcomed by the current generation of white Republican leaders as partners and equals, only for their votes. Hmm, what's your reaction to that, Erica? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think it goes to this idea of we need a third political party that's, you know, not crazy to the left, crazy to the right, but somewhere in between. Um, you know, I, it'd be interesting if they did try to do some sort of partnership on that level. I think, I mean, it definitely would get more traction in California where um, the only path forward is, you know, attracting moderate Democrats because um, you're not going to get and there just aren't enough registered Republicans to win statewide elections. So it might be an answer to that. I agree. Well, what's been interesting is how much we've been talking about this, this question of in conservatism, uh, especially in California, will it be, will it be the more moderate voices that Corinne Rankin is hoping will emerge as this conversation and attention on black conservatism, at least for the moment, hopefully blossoms into a, a bigger conversation and a more a bigger tent, I guess, for, for, uh, the California Black GOP. But I, I also have to wonder when I'm hearing what our listeners are saying and those last couple of comments about whether or not that really does even matter. I'm thinking about how this weekend there is this rally scheduled at the Capitol, you know, justice for the J6, right? It does feel like the broad swaths of the electorate that you might want to appeal to aren't really worried about this or having this discussion. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, a number of my, my colleagues at the LA Times, fellow columnists wrote columns of like basically saying that the Republican Party is just basically a grievance party for uh, it's like a club for people who are angry about the world and they're not really interested in winning, you know, elections. They're just interested in complaining. And I think there's some there's some validity to that statement. Um, you know, I don't I think a lot of this goes back to the idea of what is the Republican Party in California actually doing? Um, they don't seem to have a direction. I think that, you know, a good chunk of their party is just, you know, is very far to the right, angry, has, you know, believes in conspiracy theories, you know, you name it. Then there's other folks in the party who are, 
what actually probably want to win elections and are trying to find ways forward and to, to kind of team up with moderate Democrats and to do different things. And those sides of the party just can't seem to agree. And there aren't enough of them to be able to split off. And if they can't work together, then they're never going to win anything. And so I think that's when you get rallies like that are scheduled outside of the Capitol this weekend um, with the people basically complaining and not actually trying to actually do anything to win elections. I think in many ways, your last two two pieces that you wrote uh, for the LA Times reflects what I've long wished for as well, which is just a better conversation, right? A better battle of ideas that exist. The conversation is on the same plane to begin with. It's really hard to achieve what's best in an argument between an okay group and a group that has lost its way. (laughs) No, for sure. It's a sad state of affairs that this is what political discourse in this country has become. Um, You know, I I try to think back to a time when it wasn't that, and it almost seems like it's so long ago, it's hard to remember. Um, But, you know, it does, you know, the good thing about being a columnist and being able to talk to people, it's always nice to talk to people who genuinely do want to have those kinds of conversations and to remind, you know, even though the loudest voices are the ones that are oftentimes make the least amount of sense, you know, there are people out there that even if you don't agree with them, genuinely do want to do good work and genuinely do want to help their constituents and genuinely do want to improve the country, even if they may disagree on how to go about doing it. And I think as an American public, it's a good idea for us to remind ourselves that those people do exist. And it's not, not everybody is out there shouting like Larry Elder is. There are other people out there that are doing really hard work and have good intentions. Well, Erica Smith's last two columns, the ones we've been talking about, are win or lose, Larry Elder could bring about a new era of black conservatism. And Trump branded the GOP a party of racists. Larry Elder as standard bearer won't help. Erica Smith, thanks so much for talking with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I also want to thank Corinne Rankin, Vice Chair of the Central Valley California GOP, for joining us earlier in the program, and also to our listeners for sharing their thoughts and reflections on where things go from here. You're listening to Forum. We'll have another segment next, this time exploring Shang-Chi. So stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.